Let there be sound. <laughs> All right. We're going to talk about, we're talking about whole. They're going to, they're going to get it right. It's okay. We're going to talk about whole. And whole is coming up August 23rd and 24th. My birthday, the 24th. <clears throat> Lori and I love to do this. Wow. And uh, so, so we're doing wild and free. See, he's done that before to me, and I had to correct it all. But um, we're talking about wild and free to get ready for whole. So I'm going to explain whole, okay? And this would be called an illustrated sermon. And there's no magic involved, though, okay? It's not, it's not a magic trick. But there are knives involved, okay? So if you're sitting on the front row, uh, Lori, would you stand right there? No, I'm just kidding. This is going to be safe. It's PG-13, and it's going to be good. Don't be scared. Just don't try this at home. And uh, so we're, we're talking about whole, and we're leading up to the whole ministry by doing these sermons. Elizabeth's going to do one. Allie's going to do one next week. I hope I make it back from Colorado for that. But... I'm going to show you what whole means to me with a cantaloupe. There's a tag on it. Anybody ever heard a knock-knock joke? Okay, I actually make up knock-knock jokes, okay? What's on my... Oh! At least it wasn't toilet paper. Oh, thank you. See, she knows she's led by the Spirit. Um, okay, so this is a knock-knock joke. And I need audience participation in a knock-knock joke. So, Sarah, really loud, okay? Knock-knock. Who's there? Cantaloupe. Cantaloupe. Cantaloupe, because I ain't got no girlfriend. <laughs> now, I made that up. Sarah's almost on the ground rolling. Um, but I will tell you this. That's not a joke. Who said that? Oh, okay. <laughs> but I actually did... Elope. I mean, Lloyd eloped almost 40 years ago. So, anyway, that's my joke. That's my cantaloupe. So, anyway, if you've ever prepared a cantaloupe, uh, don't come up to me after church and say, you did that the wrong way. Because I'm going to tell you, my daddy taught me how to do a cantaloupe. So, when you're preparing a cantaloupe, you cut it in half, right? It's whole, but then you cut it in half. And what's in the middle of a cantaloupe? What is that? Seeds. Right. Do we eat that? No. no. We get rid of that, don't we? So what we do is we take a spoon. So this knife would be God. Okay? This spoon would be the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit. Put that first verse up there, Julie. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and shows us things in our life that we need to get rid of. Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart, and you know everything about me. Is there anything hidden from God? No. Nothing. He knows where we've been, what we've done. He even knows the people that hurt us in our past. He knows that. And so many times when we get hurt, one of the first things we say is, no, God, why did you let that happen? Why did you allow that rejection, that hurt, that divorce, that abandonment? Why did you allow that? Where were you at, God? And if you'll stop long enough to listen and really ask God, where were you at? He's going to say, I was right there. I was right there the whole time. He's always with us. So the Holy Spirit comes in, and he starts getting rid of all that junk, okay? And I didn't half it too good. This is like a, a third of the, the cantaloupe. But he starts scraping all that stuff out. And I thought, God, is this too graphic? You know, this is kind of gross. And, I ran, and so, you know, I didn't want to run it by Lori because I like Lori to experience it for the first time, the first time, you know? 
But I finally, I just said, God, i got to run it by the Lord because I think I'm going to mess up. So he takes all that stuff out. And put that next verse up there, Julie. So he takes all that out. So all that stuff's out. Come on. And there's still some seeds in there. I know. I got to get it clean. I got to sweep it out. I got to get it clean. The next verse is search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So point out anything. And then the Bible also talks about there's a verse that says once you've gone in and you've cleaned out, you've asked God to show you. And look at that. Isn't that beautiful? That's, That's gorgeous. But the Bible also talks about once a house is swept clean, is swept out, and nothing comes in to fill that, that void, what happens? Oh, he comes back, and it's seven times worse. Look at that. It's overflowing. I can't even do that. I'm going to drip some juice out. This church is going to smell like cantaloupe. So you clean it out, you sweep it out. That's when we do whole twice a year because you've got to keep it cleaned out. Yes. You've got to keep it swept out. And then once you, um, once you do, I thank you, Shauna. Once you do all that, what do you do? God starts showing you things. You start cutting it up. God's going to show you things in your life. Pray I don't cut my finger off. God's going to show you things in your life that he wants you to work on. But he's not going to show you everything at one time. Now, you do work on, and and we believe that there's four parts, and you work on all four parts at one time. That's why we do it in a day and a half, because we're going to work on everything, and it's going to be tough. I don't want to discourage anybody from coming, but it's going to be tough. But you know what? You still got that rind. And Jesus comes in. And with a paring knife and gets that off. I didn't cut as good as my dad did, but y'all got the idea. It takes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I know Lori talked, and this is this is part of the whole ministry. You you look at the Father, a lot of times your attitude and your picture of God the Father is based on your picture of your earthly father. Your, the Holy Spirit, the way you relate to the Holy Spirit, a lot of time is tainted by the way you looked at your mom. And a lot of times the way you look at Jesus is how you looked at your siblings and friends. Okay? So today we're talking about the orphan spirit. We're going to talk about how God wants to Break us of that orphan spirit. Just a little house cleaning real quick. I could never be a chef on TV. But that looks gross, doesn't it? Let's get rid of that stuff. Let's get that out. And this teaching actually taught this in a... uh, Thrive Tribe, I keep wanting to say different things. It's been a care group. It's been a cell group. Lord and I have been doing small groups since the 80s. We started off doing a youth small group back in the 80s, and we've, we've gone out of where we're doing Thrive Tribes, which I think is the best. Uh, but I did a whole semester on this book, Daddy God, uh, Healing the Orphan Spirit by Dr. Jerry Grillo, Jr., this is a great book. If you want to get healing and wholeness, this is a great book to read. When you start reading this, the, the, what, you think, uh, what you think an orphan spirit is is so much more than just being abandoned by your father. It's a lot more than, or your mother, or going through a divorce and be abandoned by a man, or being an 18-year-old, senior year in high school, and your dad dies. And it taints your whole image of men for the rest of your life until you get over that, until you go back to that point where your dad died when you were in high school 
And you say, God, where were you? And let him say, I was right there. I was right there with you the whole time. So, I'm going to try not to use names today. I've used names before and family members. And then I got on the website and I saw the podcast or heard the podcast and I went, I got to be careful. What if my family finds out I'm a preacher now? And they start listening. They all know Lori is. Anyway. Anyway, so uh, I did the cantaloupe. Good deal. So we're going to do breaking the orphan spirit. And guys, I want to tell you, there's an epidemic in the United States. Yes. And probably in the world. But especially in the United States. Where children are not being raised by their fathers. I challenge you. Next time you go to Taco Casa or Taco Cabana. What's that here? Taco Casa. Uh, go to a, a, a fast food restaurant. Look at the families. It's usually the mother and her children. Where, where's the man? I, I'm not talking about during working hours. Go in the evening. Just look around. You know, uh, It's usually maybe her mother's with them, the mother and the grandmother, and they're raising those kids. So there's an epidemic in the body, in the body of Christ too. Uh, people are not connecting to the church, to their spouses, to their parents, and to the man of God. And Pastor Nathan, I was reading a, an article in the morning news just this past week. I wish I would have saved it. 25% of people who profess to go to church at least twice a month, and they need counseling or they need uh, to know what to do next in their life, only 25% go to a clergyman. That's why they call it a clergyman. We call him a pastor. But they don't consult their church. You know what they do? They go on the phone. They go on the Internet. They get all their information and what they're going to do next from the phone. And it's, it's easy. I don't have to let anybody know I'm hurting or I, need, I have a need or anything like that. And they can do that. So that's an epidemic that's going on right now. Now, I want to define the orphan spirit. And it's a spiritual condition in which some profess outwardly to know God as Father, but experience an internal contradiction to that belief. Spiritual orphans struggle to connect. Connection means to bond, to relate, and to join. The orphan heart fears this because deep inside their heart, they do not see their own value and worth. They have a hard time believing you really see it either. So not only do they see it in themselves, they feel like everybody else sees it. And you know what? Yeah. Sometimes we do. Sometimes there's outward signs that shows us those things that we can just really pick up on really quick. Sometimes it's discernment. Um, I, uh, I used to make fun of Lori. I don't do it anymore, Lori. I, I stopped, okay? <laughs> Uh, because we go to a football game, and we'd be sitting there football game, and Lori would be sitting there. Oh my God! Look at her; she's hurting so bad. Well, we just watch the football game, just watch the baseball game. But she had a heart of compassion. I just wanted to watch the game, you know. Well, in studying this, I went into a grocery store a couple of weeks ago, and there was a kid in there who was who was rather big. He's probably six foot five. But he was really big. Reminded me of Brandon. Brandon's like six foot three or four, and he's, Brandon's really big. But he reminded me of my son. Maybe that's why. I don't know. I, I just, I could just see my, my heart went out to him. The compassion just welled up in me. And I just, and he was so nice. But you could tell he was separate. He was, he, he felt that, or he had that orphan spirit. And this, and you might be sitting here thinking, you know, Rick, I don't need this. You know, I'm okay. I'm good. Okay. Good. I'm glad you're good. Use this to recognize it and to get people in here. I'm going to tell you something. That, that, uh, you, did you hear that part? They, they can't bond. They can't relate. And people won't go to a church if they feel like they can't bond and they can't relate to someone or something. They want, people want to be a part of something, but they can't find something to be a part of. And this is what they need to be a part of, this great church. 
So the orphan uh, heart fears it because deep inside their heart, they do not see their own value and worth, and they have a hard time believing that you really see it either. Somewhere in their past, they have picked up the need to be loved. They have a heart of an orphan because they did not receive love or perceived they did not receive love in the past. Now they have a hard time receiving any love, love from, another, love from others and especially from a father. They have this inner hole, in, and that's hole, H-O-L-E. They have this inner hole like that cantaloupe, and they need to fill it with something. They have this inner hole in their heart that sees a heavenly father in relation to the view of an earthly father. They have no issues running to the cross and accepting the love of Jesus. They know he is our advocate. He's our intercessor. They have no problem with the Holy Spirit, our counselor, our comforter. But bring in the Father, and immediately they feel abandoned and rejected. It's crazy. And this, this goes on. Here's some facts about an orphan spirit. They're unable to connect to a spiritual leader. Uh, we need a spiritual leader. You need someone that is mentoring you. The world's caught on to that. All, all the companies have mentoring opportunities. The church is a mentoring opportunity. You can find someone. There are people who want to mentor you, mentor you here in this church. Uh, number two, they're able to put down roots or commit to anyone. Uh, they change churches frequently. The average is five years in a church. And I, I don't know, I, I think it's less than that. Uh, someone who is... Uh, Facts about an orphan spirit. There's someone who is never satisfied or happy. Their faith rises and falls with their feelings. They're always looking for something bigger and better. They're overly needy for approval and recognition. Uh, someone who is easily offended or hurt. They have outbursts of uncontrollable anger. And I want to talk about someone in the Bible right now who had that. And that was Moses. If you think about it, uh, he was an orphan. You know, he had to be, they were killing all the babies. His mother put him in the basket and sent him down the river. And he was raised a prince of Egypt. And yet he felt so outcast in that situation. And then he had a fit of anger where he killed a man. And what did he do? He ran. He ran. And that's when God started to use him because God had to heal him of that orphan spirit. So outburst of uncontrollable anger, strong feelings of abandonment, uh, easily agitated when given instructions. So in, if you want to talk about, I want to talk about the origin of the orphan spirit. Where did it all start? It started with Adam and Eve. It started in the garden. And that's when it started. At that moment, their eyes were open. This is Genesis 3, 9. At that 3, 7, thank you. Uh, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So the first clue that the orphan spirit is being birthed, self-awareness. You know, you, you can either be God-aware, or you can be self-aware. Now, up until this point, until Adam and Eve ate the fruit and, and, and disobeyed God, they had a fantastic relationship with God. He would come. He would visit them. He would uh, have fellowship with them. And then they were deceived by the serpent, and they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. At that moment, they realized they were naked. They became self-aware. They became self-image. They were made in the image of God. But then they started looking at themselves, and they were self-aware, and they were, the, the self-image came. And what came with that was shame. Shame, number one, that they had disobeyed, and shame that they were naked. So they put together fig leaves to take care of their nakedness, and then God comes to see them. And he's walking through the garden, and he's saying, where are you? Where are you? He's never had to look for them. They've always been right there. 
But this day, he had to look for them. Where are you? And they said, we hid. Why are you hiding? Because we're naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? It was something that they were self-aware of. And you know what God did? Did God blast them? Did he smite them? Stamp them out? You know what he did? He killed animals. And he made skins for them. It was the first sacrifice for sin. That was the first time. And man learned that to atone sin, there had to be the shedding of blood. And the devil thought he had won. But it was a setup. Because one day Jesus would come and would atone all of our sin. So the first clue that the orphan spirit is being birthed is self-awareness, the need for being accepted and affirmed are born. They forgot. They lost their perspective and forgot that the Father's view of them was more important than what others saw in them and what they saw about themselves. Adam and Eve lost their identity. They lost their image in the Father. And being self-imaged human, in being self-being, self became the center of attention. We're so focused on self-image that we forget that we are made in the Father's image and likeness. They lost their God image and traded it for self-image. The proof of an unhealthy uh, self-image is when you are always thinking about, about you. How does this affect me? What does this mean for me? It's always about you. That's, that's one of the first signs. Number four, uh, now we're going to talk about four symptoms of the orphan spirit. And it's competing and, and needing to stand out. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Uh, spiritual orphans do not feel accepted. They feel they need to prove their worth. They may seek to hide their own limitations and perceiving the strengths of others as competition. You know, God didn't make a bunch of arms. God made the body of Christ an arm, a leg, an ankle, a knee. We have our own parts. And to, and to sit back and to compare yourself with someone else is wrong. What is your part in the body? Uh, my, my daughters were, were actors in high school, and they said there's no small parts, just small actors. There's no small roles, just small actors. So your role is not small. Your role, what, you're, what you do in the church is very important, and God wants that to bring, to bring that out. Um, if you're sitting here today and say, well, I'm not doing anything, well... We're breaking the orphan spirit. You can start to volunteer. I don't care who you are. You can say hi and smile and shake somebody's hand and hug them and greet them at the door. You can set donuts on a tray and show people, hey, here's, here's our donut tray. Here's our coffee. Help yourself. I mean, people, you know what that does? That makes an orphan spirit feel a part of something. That makes them bond to this church. Do you know how many people have told me and Lori, like in, in Equip Track, they'll say, you know, we were at a church for five years. We didn't think we would ever come back to church. I didn't think I'd ever get my spouse back in church. They said they would never come back. Well, here they are. And they're, and they're volunteering and they're working and they're helping and they're bonding and they're relating. It happens all the time. It's awesome. That's what this church is about. It's about love and community and making a difference and connecting. So that's what we like to do. Uh, Another symptom of the orphan spirit is a desire for isolation, individualism. Cause people to withdraw physically and emotionally from others. They feel that they don't belong in the family. Become a lone sheep. Now, there are... There are reasons that people do that. Um, there are reasons that people do that. I can talk about uh, a family member that was very hard of hearing. He had had uh, a fever, scarlet fever, when he was a kid, and he ended up not being able to hear very well. I think he was pretty well disabled. And, and then he goes to the war. 
and there's bombs and there's guns, and that affected his hearing even more. And then he had a son, and he's aloof. He's set away. Uh, the father is, is off. He's, he's working. He's taking care of his family. He's doing the right things. But that son feels like, well, what's wrong with me? You know, he, he's always gone. Why didn't he talk to me? Why didn't he play with me anymore? You know, and that, that son kind of feels abandoned. Well, that was me. I, I kind of felt like that with my dad, okay? And Lori and I were talking about that the other day, and I said, you know, my dad's dad, my grandfather, lived in East Texas and worked in Dallas, so he was never there. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, my gosh, Lori. I work in Dallas, and I live in East Texas. I was doing the same pattern, the same thing that my grandfather had done that had made my dad feel like an orphan, made my dad feel disconnected. Thank God I didn't do it until my kids were out of the house. It was later in life. But how's that affecting my wife? Anyway. And, and let me tell you, when you're doing whole and you're just in conversation with somebody, God will hit you like a ton of bricks right in the, right in the face. Uh, that's you. Uh, you do that. No, I don't. I don't do that. That's called denial. <laughs> and like I said, you know, with the different slices on the cantaloupe, God's not going to hit you with everything at one time. But you've got to be sensitive and you've got to be listening for when you're driving down the road just having a conversation and God says, you need to work on this because there's a pattern with your grandfather. Now, I skipped your dad, but there's, it's, it hit you. So, anyway. So, a desire for isolation and individualism caused people to withdraw physically and emotionally from others. Feels that they don't belong in the family. You ever felt that way? I saw... I saw a black Jeep, Sarah, uh, Shauna, a black Jeep, and had a sticker, I'm the black Jeep of the family. <laughs> <laughs> had it, you know, on the back of it. Our Father's invitation is one of welcome, embrace to a place of belonging in his family. So God's calling us in. Uh, Ephesians 1.5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It gave him great pleasure. You see, God, God created us, but God didn't want a bunch of robots that would just worship him. God wanted us to make that choice that we love him. How would he know if we loved him if he made us robots to just serve him and, and do his will and never sin? He wouldn't know that we loved him. God wants to know that we love him. We don't want a Stepford wife. We want a wife that's not a robot, that, that, that knows everything about me, all my shortcomings, all my downfalls, and loves me anyway. That's what God wants. See, this is working. I can see it working. Shauna just went and sat beside Kevin. So <laughs> he's... I'm sorry. I'm going to talk about Sean a little bit later, too. I've already warned her. Uh, symptoms of an orphan spirit, number three. A spirit of fear and insecurity. A constant need of reassurance by leaders. Lack of confidence in their spiritual gifts in any ministry position they have been given. They need to prove themselves. Our Father's invitation is to place is to a place of security in his love, care, and constant oversight. Matthew 10, 29. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? This is Jesus talking. How much does a sparrow cost? Copper coin. One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing about it. Point is, if he cares for a sparrow like that, he cares for you. He's watching over you, and he cares. He cares. So it's a constant need for reassurance by leaders and lack of confidence 
in their spiritual lack of uh, gifts and ministry position they have been given. Uh, okay. Do what? Oh, thank you, man. Um, okay, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it, okay? Uh, have a new position in the church. And I'm going to tell you, I'm, I, I want to be humble here, but I'm going to excel at some things. But there's going to be many things I don't excel at that, that I have to work at, okay? And that's with any job. Any job you take on. You're going to excel at something, but you're going to be lacking in, in, in other parts. And I know I work for a telecommunications company, but I am, I am a, uh, what, am, what are we called? Uh, illiterate? No. Yeah, we're, we're computer illiterate. No, we're um, baby, baby boomers, baby boomers. We're baby boomers, which I kind of don't like. Because baby boomers is like from 1946 all the way to 1962. That's, that's too big of, a, yeah. of an age range, you know? But that's what we are. We're baby boomers. Well, everybody knows baby boomers don't, don't, don't know how to use a computer and all that. So I have been lacking. And, and then I get a lap. Then I said, Lori, I've got to use your laptop. I've got to take over your laptop. I'm going to need this for work. I've got I to gotta get in touch with the greeters. I've got to get in touch with the... Uh, hospitality, uh, eventually the security. I've got in touch with the altar team, uh, and it's all on the computer. Okay? Yeah, y'all know where I'm going. Well, here's an orphan spirit. You don't want to look bad. You want to look good. You don't want to say, hey, you know what? I need help. You know, everybody needs help sometime. You're not going to excel at everything. But you know what? You're not dumb. You're not stupid. You can learn. You know, Alzheimer's hasn't set in yet. <laughs> but you know what? If you don't go and you don't tell the right people, hey, Mick, can you help me? Hey, Shauna, can you help me? That's what you have to do. That's what you got to do. And I apologized to Shauna today for some things. And she looked at me and said, Rick, I'm the same way. <laughs> Number four, unhealthy focus on performance. And spiritual orphans feels, a spiritual orphan feels rejected. So they feel they must compensate by working hard or performing well in order to be recognized. Result in a, um, a, a constant drive to perform. We aren't human doers, we're human beings. Stop trying to do everything and be a human being. And there's 11 signs of an orphan spirit. I'm going to kind of go through these really quick. Uh, one is, uh, operates out of insecurity and jealousy. Is that the first one? Yeah. And jealousy, operates out of insecurity and jealousy. But you know what? If, you're, if you know your sonship, your daughtership in God, you're secure in the Father's love and favor. Number two, orphan spirit is jealous of the success of others. Uh, the mature son is committed to the success of his brothers. Okay. Talk about that in a minute. How many of us compete? How many? We, I mean, we do. We compete. And there's always somebody who's better. Uh, there's a millennium on staff that is really good at the computer. And she gets stuff done really fast. <laughs> I'm not going to mention any names. Though. <laughs> and one time, Pastor Nathan said, yeah, so-and-so got it in, already got it in. I went. <laughs> and, I, and, and then we had the test for getting ordained. And I said, I'm going to beat I'm going to beat her. And I did. But that's an orphan spirit competing. Competing. It was an open book test. I mean, I shouldn't be that proud. All right. I'm not about to talk about the staff anymore. I'm probably going to get fired tomorrow. 
So, uh, but what the mature son does is committed to the success of his brothers. You know, that's, that can be really freeing. If, if Sean is committed to my success, and I'm committed to Lacey's success, and we're all committed to Nathan's success, and we're all working together as a team and not competing, yeah. oh my gosh, the sky's the limit. Yeah. If the altar team comes down here, uh, someone comes in, and, and they see there's only two people on the altar team, and it's not their Sunday, and they say, you know, there's only two people up there. Maybe I should go. And they just get up and go. Someone comes in on the, on the hospitality team, and there's nobody at the donut station. Maybe I need to help out. And you just do it. You want, you, you're not competing. You're looking for your brother's success. You're trying to help him have success. That's how you overcome the orphan spirit. Orphan spirit serves God to earn uh, the Father's love, mature son, serves God out of a sense of divine acceptance and favor. We have divine acceptance and favor. We know that God sent his only son that we could have eternal life, everlasting life. We have his acceptance. We have his favor. You know, God doesn't go anywhere. God's always there. He's right there. I don't care what's going on in your life. He's there. He was there when Adam and Eve fell. They are the ones that ran from God. They're the ones that, that hid. As long as you're hiding from God, you're in the wrong place. But when you get on your knees and say, God, I blew it. I can't believe I watched that. I can't believe I sat and listened to that. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me for what I've done. And you just go on, knowing, realizing God loves you. His favor is upon you. Uh, uh, orphan spirit tries to medicate its deep internal alienation through physical stimulation. The mature son walks in the joy and presence of the Lord for comfort. Medication. Okay, I'm just going to say it. Americans are over-medicated, way over-medicated, and it's mood-altering. And it's not just the adults. It's kids, too. It's adults not knowing how to handle their kids and how to discipline them in the name of the Lord and getting them on those drugs, on those mood-altering drugs, very young. Don't squirm around. I was told to say that. Okay. <laughs> um, Lori worked in a school district at Louisville School District. And this was in the 90s, early 90s. And she was amazed at how many of those kids were on drugs. It's just crazy. So we over-medicate. Uh, Painkillers are, are just really out of, they're, they're out of control right now. The government's trying to pull it back. I know, a year and a half ago, I hurt my back. I kept going back to get painkillers. And he said, Rick, you're going through these pretty fast. And it offended me. It made me mad. Morphin spirit rose up. All right, I just won't do it anymore. I stopped doing them, and I felt better. I don't know, something, something about them. Anyway, orphan spirit is driven by a need for success. The spirit leads the mature son into the healing, into his healing and mission. Okay? You can be driven to success and you can have success. You can do it the right way, the way the world says to do it. If you want to do, if you, if you want to be, if you want to have the success of a millionaire, do what he did. It's not hard. Go do what he did. Sacrifice your family, sacrifice your everything, and you can be a millionaire. You can go do it. Uh, the mature son serves people to bless the, the kingdom. Okay. Uh, orphan spirit uses people as objects to fulfill goals. The mature son serves people to bless the kingdom. Uh, the orphan spirit repels children. You walk in sonship. The, the, walk in sonship, walk in the father's anointing, and draw children toward them. So the orphan spirit has anger and fits of rage. 
Uh, sonship rests in the Father's ability to control and guide the future. That was Moses. What did he have? He had a fit of anger and rage. Now, it, it all worked together. He, he ended up 40 years in the, in the wilderness, tending sheep. The burning bush happened. God called him. All of a sudden, he's now uh, in the ministry. He fights it. He fights it. But God got him there. Number nine, um, the orphan spirit is always in competition with others. Sonship is always blessing. So don't be in competition. Bless people. The orphan spirit locks self, lacks self-esteem. Sonship walks in the love and acceptance of the Father God. The orphan spirit receives its primary identity through material possessions, physical appearance, and activities. There was a family in the neighborhood I grew up in, a working-class neighborhood in Pleasant Grove in East Dallas. And there was a family that had taken, they were living on the corner, and they'd taken the driveway and made a, an extra driveway. And they had a boat. They had an RV camper. They had dirt bikes. I mean, and we drove by there for years just looking at all this stuff that was right there on display on the corner lot. And I said, look at all that stuff, Dad. They've got a lot of stuff. They must go to the lake. They must go riding dirt bikes. And Dad said, yeah, and they must have a lot of bills, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can't find your, your identity in things. You find it in God. Okay, so three keys to a successful and joyful life. And, you know, I'm, I'm telling I'm I'm doing all this, okay? But I'm going to tell you, the biggest orphan spirit in this place is probably me. Uh, one time we were at a church and we were teaching the whole ministry. And I remember someone overhearing someone talk about me and Lori. And they said, you know, we finally got people that are not only teaching this, but they're working it in their own life. And Lori and I have been working whole for six, over six years, her for even longer than that. So you, you, you just got to work it. So I'm going to read you three keys to a successful life, joyful life, but I'm really reading them to myself, okay? Uh, stop competing and comparing. Okay. And you can, you can fall into that so easy. It's so easy to fall into that. Uh, not just with friends or church members, but with family, you know? Uh, God, I got to be careful. Lori's family is wealthy. Lori didn't grow up wealthy. Uh, her family didn't get wealthy until after we got married. So, you know, we, we've got the poverty spirit to break, too. <laughs> but her family are very wealthy. And I learned very early in our marriage that, uh, I mean, it was hard to hang out with them because they did have the lake houses. They did have the boats. They had the dirt bikes. And they had all the fun, right? You, you're seeing all the fun that they have. And they're not going to church on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, that, that type of thing. God, you've got to really be careful up here. Anyway, uh, but so you start thinking about that. I ha we had to get away from that. I said, well, we've got to get away from that. We, I, I, I've got to get away from that because I can't do that. I mean, we went through a stage. We had a Mercedes, and we had things. And, but we, I, I saw that it was not healthy. And that was not my calling. That's not our calling. That's not what we're supposed to do. Okay? So stop competing and comparing. Life is not a competition. Life is an adventure to be lived, to be lived. You will never truly discern your value until you stop competing with others. Rejoice with others over their success. That's hard. That's hard. When you, when you, when you've been maybe fired from a business that you were very successful in, and you, you're thinking, okay, I feel sorry for y'all because God's going to get you because you fired me. No. They threw the roof after they fired me. That was crazy. And, and you're like, you know? What, 
What's going on there? God bless them. And you've got to rejoice in that blessing. That's how you know you've truly forgiven them for what they did to you. If you can truly say, you know what, God? They're really doing good. Just bless them. Number two, uh, start discovering. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Sanctified means he set you apart. I, just, I was just talking about being set apart. That whole thing. I'm not called to the lake. I'm called to the church. You're not called to whatever. You're called to the church. Your calling, I had a preacher tell me this one time, your calling is always to people. Period. Your calling is to people. If your calling is hospitality, that's for people. If your calling is to be a pastor, that's to people. Your calling is to people. He sanctified us. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God has already set you up for your destiny. You discover it. Hidden in, your, hidden in your mind is a purpose and a calling. There is a purpose and a calling for your life. Everybody has it. A lot of people have heard that. A lot of people in this room have heard, you've got a calling on your life. You've got a purpose in your life. Go discover it. Go find it. God will show it to you. What was Moses doing? I mean, he was 80 years not walking in his purpose and his calling until finally he did. I say that to say you're never too old and you're never too young and you're never too middle life or whatever. <laughs> Try to get everybody in there. But you're never too old. You're never too old to start or to start over. Start doing it again. You know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to you. God's talking to you. Number three, start sowing. Sowing and reaping. Seed is bigger than money. Everything we sow, we will reap. That law of sowing and reaping, people associate that with, with money. I've got to give money. I've got to do this. But you know what? It applies to everything. The world calls it what goes around comes around. We say it a lot at my work. But what you reap is what you sow. You, you, you sow unhealthy eating, you're going to have an unhealthy life. You sow, a, you sow a sedentary lifestyle where you're just sitting all the time, you're going to reap that. You've got, you got to sow what you want. Uh, you want a good marriage? You've got to sow into that marriage. You've got to sow time. You've got to sow affection. You've got to sow into it. Uh, your kids, you want to have good kids that love you. You know, you got to have a relationship there. Uh, had a, we, we were, Laura and I were in the children's ministry, and we would take them to camps. That's why we're so excited about tomorrow, because we get to go on another camp trip, or another road trip. Uh, we grew up going on choir tours and prison ministry, prison tours. Uh, anyway, I get too far off, and I forget where I'm yeah. going at. Anyway. Oh, your family. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, this, our head pastor, when we were children's pastor, the, one thing she told us was rules without relationship do not work. And when we would take them to Camp Dry Gulch up in Oklahoma, or we would be on a Saturday afternoon four hours working on a musical, on a Saturday afternoon when they wanted to be at Little League and bowling and the pool and all that. If you don't have a relationship with your kids, it's hard to have rules with your kids. And, and a lot of times, children rebel because it's not... The parents go to church, but it's Sunday morning. It's once. There's nothing in the home. There's no Bible study. There's no Bible reading. There's no Bible teaching. No, the, the Jewish nation had a tradition, 
as they walked in the way, they talked to their kids about the history, about Moses, about the Exodus, about the Ark of the Covenant, and they told them those stories. Are we doing that with our kids? Are we teaching them those stories and those principles? Okay. And let's see. The next one is slaves no more. And it's 1018. So we're not slaves anymore. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption, the sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There's four words there, received. Received means to knit together, to have obtained. It means to obtain. We receive something. We obtain something, Okay. Receive the spirit of adoption. Uh, we're part of a family. Uh, the cost of this privilege was not given to us, but it was paid for by the death of Jesus. You know, we, we think it's free, and, and we say all the time, just receive it, it's free. You know, it's not really free if somebody had to die for it. And it was the Son of God who died for it. Adoption means to bow, to commit, to conceive, to kneel down, to have purpose. That's what adoption means. It means to have purpose. It means to be a part of a family. I heard a guy talking about, uh, in fact, you know, you don't hear this, this teaching too much, but I'll tell you somebody who teaches it is Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson teaches this. Robert Morris teaches this. I'll tell you somebody else who teaches it. We were talking about yesterday, James Robinson. James Robinson was actually uh, conceived in a rape and was adopted, and look at the impact that he's had. But Bill Johnson, uh, we were listening to a podcast he did on the orphan spirit, and he talked, and, and, and I didn't realize this, but they, they took in orphan children. They took in foster kids, foster kids. And they had these two boys, and the mother had committed suicide a year earlier. So it was just the father with five children, okay? A year after the mother committed suicide, the father committed suicide. And they got two of the boys, and he said they would come to the dinner table, and it was a grab fest. You know, give me a roll, give me this, give me that, give me that chicken fried steak. Just a grab fest. They didn't know when they were going to eat again. They had to teach them. They had to train them. You're going to eat again. Here, look at the refrigerator. It's full. I can't find anything in it, but it's full. <laughs> Don't remember that. <laughs> and then he goes to the, the, the cupboard, and he opens the cupboard. Look, there's cans of chicken noodle soup. There's tuna fish. There's fruit. There's vegetables. We've got plenty of food. We're going to make more. Don't worry. But you know what? They had to train them that way because they weren't used to having that. We have been adopted by our Heavenly Father. We've been adopted. And our adoption has given us purpose. We are now empowered to be possessors of our purpose. Possessors of our purpose. I'm going to go and, and possess my purpose. That's what we have now. And we are given access to possess God as our spiritual parent. I don't, you know, I don't care what kind of parent you had. It could have been the greatest parents in the world, but they're not perfect, okay? God is the perfect parent. God gives us access to him as beloved children through the Holy Spirit. And through the death of Jesus Christ, we are now spiritually and supernaturally conceived to be the sons of God and now claim as little children Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Daddy, God. My Papa. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm, I'm ending up here. God is three things. Okay? God is dedicated. God's affectionate. God's determined. He's dedicated. 
He created us. He made us. He's dedicated to us. Uh, I recently got back into wood burning. And I, I did a couple of projects. And I didn't like them. I took them down off the wall. And I redid them. And made them better. When you have a creation, you're dedicated to that creation. You know why? Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to know it. It's got to be perfect. If it's not right, I'm going to reshoot it. I heard of a movie. They had shot the whole movie. They didn't like the lead actor. He actually got in trouble with the Me Too. They took him out, and they reshot every scene that he was in with another actor and finished it in six weeks. You want it right. It's your baby. You created it. God's dedicated. God, God is slow to anger and quick to forgive. His mercies are new every morning. He is more focused on the heart of repentance than on the infractions of our sins. Did you hear that? He's more attentive to the heart than he is to what we do wrong. More focused on the heart of repentance. That's all he wants, to see that you're repentant. Um, to sum it up, God is dedicated, devoted daddy who is always faithful. And I don't care what your daddy was and what you think or your perception, you've got to get rid of that. And you've got to realize God is dedicated to you and what he's done for you. God's affectionate. He is tender Affectionate means tender attachments and fondness. We are his children. Psalm 103, 1 and 8. Uh, who does not treat us as our sins deserve? He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Who does not hold his anger forever? Whose anger is for a moment? Whose love and favor are for a little, or for a lifetime? His love is for a lifetime. God loves you with an affectionate, everlasting love. And he's determined to fix conclusively. That, that means to fix conclusively. Determined to fix conclusively and authoritatively. To win. He's determined to win mankind back. He sent Jesus. Not the blood of an animal, but the blood of his son, Jesus. Everybody stand. Everybody bow your head, close your eyes. If you, have the, if you have the orphan spirit, pray this. And just pray it silently to yourself, okay? And I'll, I'll read a phrase and you, you say it after me. Jesus, please forgive me. And you just pray this silently, okay? For embracing the attitudes, actions, and heart of an orphan. Your heart, your heart and desire for me is that I am a healthy part of a spiritual family. I break all soul ties I have formed with an orphan spirit in Jesus' name. I bind my body, heart, and spirit to God's will and purpose for me in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask that you would heal my mind and my heart from the spirits of abandonment, rejection, and faith and fatherlessness. God, please help me to have the heart of a son, and please help me to turn my heart toward my spiritual father. Lord, please help me to pray for and support the spiritual fathers you have placed in my life. Please help me to model the attitude and heart that Jesus had towards you as he walked this earth. Lord, please reveal to me all areas in my life that have been wounded. Please heal those areas and make me whole. Lord, I ask you, I ask that you would help me to forgive everyone who I look to as a spiritual father or leader who wounded me or failed me. Lord, please help me to commit to a church and spiritual father. Let's say that again. Lord, please help me to commit to a church 
and a spiritual father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.